And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 18 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. Uh, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Andy, I will start with you. How are you? I'm okay, Grant. And uh, Mark, I just got back from Washington, D.C., where, as I correctly predicted last week, Juan Soto did get traded. Carrig uh, was wrong. Grant and I were right, as always. So I'm here. Uh, my cat is um, very fired up to see me. So if you hear any uh, yelling in the background, it is uh, do not call the authorities. It's just my cat. I'm hoping there's a way we can provoke him. Like, I don't know. You have earphones in, so he can't hear us. But I have a feeling that cats can sense if they want to be provoked. So I'm sending uh, positive vibes your way. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate it. I will send a cat your way if you want. (laughs) You're going to poke holes in the box like sending Nermal to Abu Dhabi. (laughs) Uh, Mark, how are you doing today? Just listening to some freak cat people talk about cats. So I'm <laughs> fine, man. Things are good. You know, I'm not a cat person, I, I, but I am. I love cats. I love dogs. I just, I think it's like, are you a movie person or a music person? I'm both. I like cats. I like dogs. If you have a pet possum that you've trained, I'll, I'll pet the thing. So I like furry things. Man, that sounds that didn't a come pet up. possum. Yeah, that didn't. <laughs> All right, well, now we are going to uh, start actually talking about baseball. And first, is it possible that Vin Scully is the most beloved, like universally beloved person in the baseball universe? Like if you have to do an opinion poll, uh, just a straight up down vote, do you approve of this person's body of work? Is he number one? Hard to imagine somebody else. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Clayton Kershaw said it last night. A lot of people have said, I mean, the best to ever do it. 67 years behind the mic with the Dodgers, you know, the voice of summer for generation after generation, you know, from the Brooklyn Dodgers to, you know, Charlie Culberson, like the guy covered the entire, you know, range of the franchise. He also obviously was a national broadcaster throughout the 80s, you know, and was, uh, you know, had just memorable call to memorable call. Um, 94 is a, is a good run, but uh, still a very, very sad day in baseball, for sure. 
I encourage everyone to read Andy uh, on Vin Scully's passing. It was uh, tremendous. I just, I love when I would have in my, my job watching whatever baseball game caught my interest, there was just such a special joy to say, oh, I'm going to watch the Dodgers today. And I'm not just going to watch the Dodgers. I'm going to watch the Vin broadcast because you knew that it wasn't just you're watching baseball. But if baseball is this like combination of inaction and action, there was nobody who understood that better than Vin Scully, where it's you have the inaction and he's playing with that. And then you have the action and he's describing that perfectly. He knows when to pull it back to the inaction and have a little fun. He knows when to just give you the details. And then when it's a really big moment, he was no one was better at just saying, here's the crowd. I loved listening to him. He was fantastic. Not to talk about Vin like he's a great broadcaster, which obviously he was, right? It's almost one-dimensional. I think he transcended it. Like It's like saying, yeah, Jimi Hendrix played the guitar. Well, that's true. That is true, but did much more than that. And so when I think about Vin Scully, this isn't about, oh, great broadcaster. I think anybody that makes their living drawing connections for people who love the sport to get them closer to the sport whether it's through a broadcast or the written word or social media, we are all doing a less talented, less charming, less elegant version of Vin Scully. That is what we're doing, you know? And the way that Vin did it was just so unprecedented, right? Like the length of time to connect all of that history. You know, he's a, a New York Giants baseball fan, right? And like, kids fell asleep with their transistor radios listening to this guy and then by the end of his run people were falling asleep to him listening on the internet i was a grown man in new york doing that you know i'd, I'd be home from a game i covered and be like oh west coast games are still on who am i gonna pop on if i have the choice of course it's vin scully of course right so the way he brought this connection to this game for so long is not just a feat of broadcasting. I think it's something more special than that. And I think that's why people are in mourning about it because, I mean, look at the way he did it, right? Like he did it by treating the viewer with respect, spoke to them eloquently, was a presence, was there every day, you know, love the game, transmitted that love of the game, you know? And like, you know, Roger Angel passed not too long ago, right? And there's a lot of people talking about Roger and the work he did. And what the difference I see is that, you know, Roger is, 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 talking to a, a whole different audience right like people are running for the new yorker like people with you know like who are frankly more elitist right vin's for everyone the immigrant learning english learn from vin also the person running to the new yorker learning from vin so pretty amazing but to hear it as oh great broadcaster it almost shorts what he did because i think literally everybody who makes a living drawing a connection to this sport owes a debt to him because he did it better than anybody else. He did it at a wider scale first than anybody else, pretty much up until he hung him up. So yes, 94, he said, what a run, but like transformational and really, really an amazing life. I don't know who tweeted it, uh, but it was such a, a good observation that he was a huge part of people's lives, like you're describing, uh, who were born in the 1800s. Like, you know, like he was a part of those people's lives and he was a part of uh, people's lives who were born in the 2000s. You have people born in the 1800s and the 2000s who'd be like, oh, yeah, Vin Scully, he was there for this moment, that moment. I remember where I was when he was saying this. 
That's wild. That is a that's just a breadth of work, and I I, it, I can't even fathom it. You know, like yeah, I think it's hard to say more than what Mark did. I mean, I thought Mark really encapsulated it really well. He nailed it. And if uh, Vin Scully were doing this podcast, do you think he'd have a way to segue into the trade deadline more eloquently than I am doing right now? Just like 33 seconds of silence. And 50 years from now, they'd be like, and Scully knew. Just let the crowd do all the talking. It's just my cat, you know, just yelling. In the <laughs> Sc- Scully understood how to transmit an image through words and silence. Just let, let Harry tell the story through his shrieks. Exactly. Oh, it's so he's shrieking. Uh, what are what are Harry's opinions on the trade deadline? What is what is he thinking? What are you thinking? What are we thinking about the trade deadline? What's going on? Soto, here? man, we got to talk Soto. We got. Why? I mean, did he move? I I had a moment yesterday where my brain really broke, and I decided that actually this wasn't a really good trade for the Padres because they're in second place, right? They've torched even more, you know, quote unquote, prospect capital. They're not going to win the division this year. They got to go through a hard road, you know, to get to uh, the World Series next year. Does the, or this year, excuse me? Does that even make them a division favorite next year? And I was doing all this, and then I just sat down for a minute, and I was like, "Oh no, no, no! They got Juan Soto. Good trade. I like that trade. <laughs> Never mind." So I will say, I like the trade for both sides. I think that as painful as it is for Nationals fans, it's understandably, you know, heartbreaking to part ways with Soto to say goodbye, you know, kind of officially to that era of contention. I do feel like this was the only way out. And the prospects they got, no one knows what they're going to turn out. You know, we are uh, the only anti-prospect podcast (laughs) in baseball. We agree. None of these guys have accomplished anything. However... Like talking to evaluators yesterday, you know, like seeing what, you know, folks like Keith Law wrote, reading what other people who talked to other, like they got a lot. They got a lot of talent and they had to do it. The Nationals had to do it if they could get an offer like this. And it sounds like they actually got enough to make it worthwhile to give up two and a half years of Juan Soto. I remember as the trade was coming in and before Mackenzie Gore was was added into the deal, there was just a ton of, this is so light. How can this be it? How can the Nationals do this? This is a, a crime against humanity. And when the final trade package was out there, yeah, I kind of saw it because you're not going to get the next one, Soto. You're not just going to show up in four years and be like, well, look at what we have here, another generational player. But can you get one player that you couldn't even buy on the free agent market, the type of player that you can't just go out and spend money on, maybe? Can you get two of them? Maybe. You know, and if you get two of those players, I don't want to put names on it, but like you can't just go out and get a Carlos Correa usually. When he's on the market, that's a rare thing. Can you get one of those players where you just can't usually go out and buy them if you're a billionaire? Yeah, you might get a couple of those out of that deal. So I don't mind it from the Nationals' perspective. Well, this is what I was trying to tell you knuckleheads last week. <laughs> All right. Like exactly that. This is a scenario that was without precedent. Therefore, you sort of have to throw out the rules and realize there's somebody is going to be tempted to cross the line. And, you know, when AJ Preller is employed as a GM in this sport, that's a pretty decent bet that he's the guy. The fact that he was even available is like an affront to the rules. Like, I mean, the reserve clause exists, so this doesn't happen. <laughs> okay, that's why it exists so that you can keep these players that are like Juan Soto in your uniform. Well, back in the day, in perpetuity, but now for six years, and like even still, the those rules could not contain this from happening. So, 
you know, then you look at that trade, the, the massive amount of talent that goes by. Like it was so much of an occasion, Andy. I did some hashtag reporting too, and everyone I asked about it was just like, yeah, this makes total sense. There, like it's a lot, but it makes sense. Well, one one guy I asked, um, you know, trust on stuff like this, and this was the only remote, remotely negative thing. And it's not even negative. It's just more like you kind of touched on it. He's like, well, the bottom third of their lineup still sucks and there's still 12 games out. Now, this is before I think Bell was in there, actually. So now, like, you know, that adds, right? You get two players back. It does lengthen the lineup. But, like, obviously the big thing is that you've got these three players together now for three years, three pennant races right in Soto when Tatis comes back and then obviously Manny so yeah like if you're gonna do this this is how it's supposed to play out wasn't this the Herschel Walker trade it's close yeah, yeah. this mean, is exactly it's, it's it. close yeah. yeah so and 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 who who was it like the most obvious person AJ Right? right, the most obvious person <laughs> right. to do it like that. <laughs> everyone's like, "Oh, Padres, 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 Padres." He's the only one crazy to do it. He's the only one, and sure enough, here well, we are. it's always uh, as a, as a uh, as an executive reminded me yesterday. Anytime there's a consensus on baseball Twitter, it's always good to think about veering in the other direction. And there was a sort of consensus from like from the day Ken broke the story that Soto was available. Everyone was like, "Oh man." AJ Preller's going to cook up something, <laughs> you know, and I'm sort of like, yes, he might, but like, don't forget, you know, don't forget about the Dodgers. You know, what are the, what do the Yankees think about this? You know, like Steve Cohen would, anyway, and, and the, the, the field cleared out, you know, the Mariners uh, probably had the horses to get it done, but they used some of those guys to get Luis Castillo. You know, the Yankees were determined to go in a different direction. The Dodgers had a strange, maybe we can just go through some of these other clubs. I mean, I don't know if there's any more to say. About like, hey, the Padres got Juan Soto. That's going to be cool. I get the sense we might be talking about them more as the year goes along. I do want to point out, as an I'm a I was going to say as an amateur Padresologist, but I do get paid for writing about the Padres as the man who picked the Padres to win it all. But I'm just I've had a long-standing fascination with the Padres for a lot of reasons. It, it started with their no hitter drop. They had like no no hitter for the first forty plus years. They couldn't even hit for the cycle. No cycle for the first X number of years. They have if you put together an all-time team of players that they let go before their primes, it is remarkable. You're talking Roberto Alomar, Ozzy Smith, Gary Sheffield, Trey Turner, Rizzo, McGriff, Sandy Alomar. You can make like an all-time team of the players they let go too soon. They have Steve Garvey's number, retired. He is a Dodger. He has like a negative 100 war for the Padres, but he had one moment. He had one moment and they're like, yes, we've arrived. This dude brought us the pennant. We're retired. Like they have just such an underrated legacy of sadness and irrelevance. And now they're the only team, the only team in that market, the only professional of the big four sports in that market, and they're going for it. And the fans, every time I turn on a Padres game, there's a buzz in the crowd. The crowd is full. It's exciting. They're doing it right. They're like seizing that moment. They're saying, no, 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 we're going to get a championship. Maybe they'll win it. Maybe they won't. Who cares? They're building for making the Padres, like making San Diego a Padres town. So I'm all in. I know we don't have to go on and on and on about how good it is to get Juan Soto, but if there's one team that's just going to go, you know, who cares about the future? We're just going to give away these prospects or screw them up anyways. It's the Padres. Dude, Dave Winfield, you forgot. 
<laughs> I mean, they actually—I I'm ambivalent about including him because they got a little production well, out of him true. for several that's years. True. I mean, he's a three-time All-Star, yeah. but still, like, or four-time All-Star. Now, before I forget, Dennis Lynn to me is one of our best beat writers in this company. Wrote an awesome story before last season about what you're talking about, Grant. Like, like took a big picture view of this woebegone, messed up franchise and what it meant for them to sort of do something to go all in. And that in, in the context that Dennis wrote this story, which I'll tweet out later and I encourage you guys to find because it was really, really good. This was after the Tati sighting. Same thing applies here. What we're watching is fascinating. I'm with you. Like I, It's funny. Like Grant, I, I think I see the sport a lot like you do when you're talking about like the long view. Like I am fascinated with franchises and their histories. And like, you're right, man. The Padres are a compelling story from that angle. And so... Yeah, I see it a lot the same way. I, I really love the fact that you're going to have three Dominican players of that stature on one club, right? Like that to me is like representative of the sport, where it's going, what's great about it, the talent in it. Like I cannot wait to see what those guys accomplish together there. So yeah, I mean, good for them, good for the fans that have stuck around with him. You know, to have this happen, like, I mean, it was like Tony Gwynn, played then retired and then there was this long period of time where there's absolutely no reason to pay attention to the san diego padres and now here we are who is i'm going to ask you a little trivia question who is the last homegrown position player to make the all-star team for the padres guy that they drafted or signed as an international free agent to make the all-star game last inter, uh, last homegrown all-star position player is it someone rando or is this pretty obvious nope uh it depends on your definition okay, of obvious but it's not a total rando Definitely I'm going to say Chase Headley. Tony Gwynn. What? What? Come on. The last Come homegrown on. player, the last homegrown player at all was Jake Peavy. I did a, a piece earlier this year on organizational droughts, and I used All-Star as the caliber or as the, the cutoff. And uh, the Padres, I can't remember exactly who they didn't have. Let's see if I can find it. They didn't have, uh, let's see, I'm, we will have Brian edit this out. So they have never had a homegrown first baseman in the All-Star game. They have never had a homegrown third baseman in the All-Star game. They have never had a homegrown relief pitcher in the All-Star game. The last homegrown shortstop they've had in the All-Star game, Ozzie Smith in 1981. So... This is a team, this is a team that it, it's been sitting there. And it's not like they haven't had the normal talent go through that you can just fall into. It's almost like they made a cosmic Herschel Walker trade to get a homegrown player from San Diego State who's as affable and lovable as Tony Gwynn. It's almost like they they made a Herschel Walker trade to trade all of that karma to have Tony Gwynn. And maybe that was worth it because Tony Gwynn's Tony Gwynn. But man, they've had a weird, weird, funky history. And they deserve one, Soto. They deserve to have three superstars who are just you know, effervescent and, and outstanding at what they do. They, they've earned this, man. Sorry. No, I, I like the today. word effervescent. Like I was like... <laughs> Thinking, wow, that's exactly right. <laughs> I can't believe Chase Hudley Hedley never made a All Star team. Yeah, are you are you poking around trying to find that? Yeah, I was I, trying to find funny tweets we might have had about Chase Hudley, but we did. Oh, rats! So. Really? Did what, what? What? A funny tweet about the? I was probably really mean when Twitter was around, and it was like 2011. That's probably just really net. Like now, I'm I'm this elder statesman talking about how good it is for the Padres to get one Soto. Man. First part of my ago. career, this is the funniest <laughs> crap I could have imagined. 
And I mentioned it often. <laughs> and I mentioned it often. No, but to your point, Andy, uh, let's talk about the Dodgers not getting Juan Soto because I was sure that they were. I was. I know that you're saying that Preller was the guy, the Padres. I looked at the Padre or the Dodgers farm system, what they had in AAA, what they could afford to do. Uh, even if they're not trading Gonsolin, maybe they could afford to trade Gavin Lux. Who knows? I thought they had the pieces and that they would know if we don't do this, it's going to be the Padres and that that would spook them a little bit. For sure. And I, you know, I felt kind of going into this week that it, you know, the favorite to have Juan Soto on August 3rd was the Nats. And then the the next team after that was the Dodgers. And yet again, I was right. Um, what a, <laughs> a, a strange deadline. Acquiring Joey Gallo is... Definitely not the uh, small market where everyone said Gallo might uh, rejuvenate himself. You know, yeah, the Dodgers do some good things sort of fixing hitters. They obviously have a, you know, a great developmental system and they're a really good offense. But that system has not really helped Cody Bellinger over the last three years. And uh, he and Gallo uh, have some similar uh, swing issues. No fortifications to the rotation. Um, they even, you know, they traded away. Uh, Mitch White, which was a bit strange. You know, the bullpen has added, you know, Chris Martin, who seems perfectly fine, um, but just kind of a weirdly quiet deadline for the Dodgers, uh, especially when it seems like there were uh, some guys out there who would have made them better. See, this is an audio medium, so the people listening to this uh, could not see that Andy was giving this very astute analysis with a cat's ass <laughs> in his nose. Like... <laughs> It was, you might have heard, if you heard his voice get a little muffled, it was a cat standing uh, with his backside directly towards Andy's mouth. Is that a metaphor? I don't know. It was good analysis, though. I hate this cat so much, <laughs> and yet I love him so much, and that is the Dow of, uh, of owning a cat. Anyway. That was close enough where that looked like an umpire and manager getting into it, except the umpire was <laughs> Harry's backside. But to your point, the weirdest deadline, because I have seen when the Giants have played the Dodgers, the Dodgers will wax them and they will wax them thoroughly. But the waxing primarily takes place in the early innings where it is the Dodgers starting pitcher comes out, barf six scoreless innings with 10 strikeouts or something. Their cadre of all-stars scores a bajillion runs. And then the bullpen comes in and the middle relief and the Giants creep closer and a little bit closer. And then by the end, they have a little bit of hope, but oh, it's not quite enough. But Craig Kimbrell made it interesting. They have a need in the bullpen. It's like watching uh, the Nationals before they won the World Series that the Nationals were famous for this. It's like, oh, you have Strasburg and Harper and ooh, ooh la la. And then you blah, all of a sudden like Drew Storen's out there. Uh, that's not dissimilar to what the Dodgers are doing. And they got Joey Gallo. Which I, I that's not what I was thinking. Very strange. Uh, it, it, and it sounds like you know they are placing a very large bet on the readiness of Dustin May as he comes back from Tommy John surgery. Counting on Walker Bueller coming back this year seems pretty foolish. Maybe he comes back as a reliever who's able to help in some form. But yeah, I mean, I do sort of look at this as it's it's one of those bullpens where you're kind of like, man, you know, at the start of the season. You know, with a team like this, you're sort of like, wow, they're, I assume at the deadline they'll find a closer to replace.
is Kimbrel, and you know maybe they're just betting on you know Kimbrel like betting on him still being effective. I mean his numbers are interesting at the very least. You know his his FIP is like two full runs lower than his ERA. You know the strikeouts are still good, walks aren't crazy, but you know the results are what they are. It's strange to see a team this good spending this much money, where you know it could be Clayton Kershaw's last season as a Dodger. You know, you don't really have certainty with Bueller moving forward. You probably won't ever get seasons this good from Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin again for them not to, you know, kind of be more aggressive. But you could say that about a, a couple teams, right? The Mets fit that bill. You know, like the I, I think the Astros did some things to get better, but the Astros didn't make a sort of major, uh, you know, addition. It was kind of a weirdly – there was definitely some big moves, but it, there was also a sense that, that some clubs left some meat on the bone. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. What about the Yankees going from, you know, not just like, hey, we're going to trade prospects for an ace or something. We're going to trade one of our quality starting pitchers for an injured outfielder. 
I guess, an argument to make for it if you're thinking X's and O's, but whew, it was weird. Let's give the people what they want, 20 minutes on New York baseball. We could go for a while on this. Both these teams have really interesting deadlines, I thought. You know, you brought the Yankees, but I want to go back to the Mets real quick because it's related to the Dodger point, right? Like, So Steve Cohen had talked about when he bought the team, the model was the Dodgers. They wanted to be the East Coast Dodgers. And so you've got a deadline that comes up, and, and their team's good. We're talking about franchise histories. Like, dude, the Mets have been so good this year. The only time they've had a first half this good was 86. Yeah, 86. What do they do, right? Ask them. But anyway, <laughs> like, you know, like the 86. So they've had a special run. And I thought Tim Britton, our beat writer, wrote a great column off of this. He basically was just like, they didn't do nearly enough, given like the context of the fact that they're so good. They've had... You know, like we've talked about their offense before, right? Like they haven't hit enough home runs and yet they scored enough runs, especially early on. They got some luck, right? They've been healthy. That's the other thing. They've been relatively healthy. That never happens here. This should have been the time to like really push in and they did not. So what's the justification for not pushing in? Well, if you want to be the East Coast Dodgers, right? At this phase where, where you're the Mets, where you have a very top heavy farm system. If there's a time, to, I guess, to prospect hug, you can justify it here, sure, right? Because you, you don't want to, like, dive into the system before it's ready. Uh, you know, it's deep enough to, like, actually do that. So at the same time, this is missing a moment, right? It's missing an opportunity. It's missing the urgency of what's happened in front of you to this point. And there are times where you have to sacrifice a little bit of the future for the present when the present is so freaking bright and they missed the chance. I've got a scenario for you. It's game two of the wild card round. It's a sold out crowd at City Field. The Mets are clinging to a 2 1 lead in the top of the sixth inning. Jacob deGrom has done his job. He's thrown five scoreless innings and turned it over to the bullpen. Juan Soto is coming up for the San Diego Padres. And the bullpen door opens, and here comes Joely Rodriguez. What are we doing? Like, there were lefty relievers out there. What are we doing? They have, they, what are we doing? I get it. They did some things to get a little bit better, but there was obvious deficiencies in the bullpen, which is the most, had the most arms out there, right? Like, that's the easiest way to pick up lottery tickets. The Yankees managed to do it, and they have a better bullpen than the Mets. Just kind of strange. Just, just strange. You know, and then back to the Yankees' point, right? So Jordan Montgomery gets moved for Harrison Bader. And when that happens, I'm like, okay, what's the other piece of this, right? Because you're thinking, right. there's another right, arm right. coming. You're like, ooh, Pablo Lopez. Right. Okay. That's exactly it. And then I look on Twitter, it's like, Pablo Lopez is not getting traded. Like, you know, Mari <laughs> Povich, right? You are not, yeah, the, right? Yeah. That's it. He is not getting traded. Because we get, like, after <laughs> 6 o'clock, that you get your wave of tweets like that. The reporters go in and tell you who's not getting traded. So that's the first one. And I'm like, okay, then what the hell is this about? Like, what are they doing? Carlos Rodon's got to right. like, yeah, like, be Carlos there Rodon. There was already the not getting traded for him. So, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, then who's left? Like, what what is going on? You know? And, no, that that is baffling. And, look, and I'm saying this is somebody who, you know, I covered Jordan Montgomery early in his career. Um, you know, he was someone who you felt like if he could just develop a little bit more, like, miss some more bats, or, you know, find some other wrinkle to go with what he already had as, as his skill set that maybe it plays up. And it hasn't happened, really, all right? He's still not a guy that you look at and feel good about running out there for a playoff game, all right? So, like, it's not like 
may trade it like a linchpin of the rotation. That said, he's going to throw you some innings, and everyone needs innings. The Yankees need innings. And so, and, and then for what? For Bader. I, I don't know. That was just bizarre. With nothing else accompanying it, I don't get it. I guess I'll start. I'll go back to the Mets real quick because I did have a point to make with them. Because if you're going to be the East Coast Dodgers, people misunderstand what it is to be the Dodgers. They're not the team that just throws money, throws money, throws money, win now, win now, win now. They're actually a, a secret prospect hugging team. And they part of being the Dodgers is, oh, Walker Buehler, okay, now you're our ace and we get to spend that money somewhere else. Oh, Will Smith, oh, you're a middle-of-the-order superstar catcher. Well, now we get to spend money somewhere else. They've hugged the right prospects, and I think the Mets might want to hug the right prospects. And the Yankees, to some extent, do want to hug the right prospects. That's why they're not trading Anthony Volpe. That's why uh, they're not necessarily going all in all the time because they want to have that conveyor belt of ready majors, superstars that you can't just go out and buy. So I get it. That doesn't mean it's not weird to be like, deadline's over, we got a guy in a walking boot right now, but just wait until he's running around center field and Aaron Judge is in a corner and everything's all right. And also just to, to Mark's point, like, yeah, Montgomery was not set up as a guy who you'd want starting game two of a playoff series, right? Okay, so Cole starts game one, right? Frankie Montas starts game two. Who's starting game three? Like, it's not Tyone. No, well, right? I mean, Severino is supposed to be back by uh, yeah, the guy September, who they just put on the sixty-day yes, IL yeah, and wasn't didn't pleased pitch about it for three years. Yes, yes. So, like that part, like if Severino was up and running and good to go, that would make sense. Uh, if Nestor Cortez had ever thrown more than hundred and ten innings in a big league season, then it might make sense to peel back from you know the the big league rotation depth. I understand, you know, this is kind of a you know a a, a bet on Clark Schmidt potentially being the same as Montgomery. It just like it's just always strange to see a team cut from rotation depth, especially when, you know, they could probably do well to make sure that Severino and Montas and Cole and all those guys are not taxed going into October and you know still be in position to have home field advantage. Well that's the thing is they also they dipped into their depth to make their other moves. Like so they've thinned themselves out already then they did some roster stuff that that also makes it like even in the short term a little more difficult to manage if something goes sideways. And you know, Jameson Tyon has just not been right uh, and might not be right. So like there's <laughs> there's a lot of variables here that just make it so bizarre what they did. To answer your hypothetical question about who would start a game three in a postseason series, I think the only thing we know is that whoever does start that game three will throw eight innings of scoreless ball against the Twins. And there's nothing the Twins can do about it. Maybe that, that's part of the calculus is the Yankees are going, the Twins are one postseason team. We know we can throw out, uh, gosh, I don't know. We can throw out Jeff Supon and, and like he, he would shut the Twins down. So that's I don't know, the most man. remarkable thing. You know, based on everything I've read, and uh, it seems like the Twins had a really nice deadline. They made some good pickups. They got Tyler uh, Malé. Um, I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm never gonna pronounce his name. But they got him. They got Jorge <laughs> Lopez. You know, they they got Michael Fulmer. Right? They got better. And I just never once thought, like, man, the Twins are going for it. I was just kind of like, yeah, hey, the Twins. Like, we'll see. You know, first round should be fun. Um, which is like not fair to the Twins. They're trying. I like. Like, it's just. It's just. They have played themselves into a position of sort of a, a defensive position inside my mind that I don't even take them seriously as a contender, even though they're a very good baseball team. 
or a good a good baseball team. Lopez was a nice ad for them, like in particular the Orioles um, kid. That that was really a nice ad for them. I was ignoring the Orioles so much this year that I forgot that he was having a nice season. Or I actually didn't realize. I know he had such a miserable season last year, but then I saw on Twitter people were very mad that the Orioles traded him. I was like, wait a second, we're talking about the same guy? He's been good. I think the Twins are solid, but they really are on a collision course for the Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Every time. You learn after a while, like baseball's bizarre and that like there's no rhyme or reason for stuff, right? And like, like so when people make a big deal of you know, I, I was like covering the Yankees one year and like I think they started 0-9 against the Red Sox. It might have been 0-9 or something like that. People were just like losing their minds over it. It's a huge deal. And like I remember thinking, like, okay, like obviously they don't want to be 0-9 against the Boston Red Sox, but I watch this team every day. They're still pretty good. Like, I wonder if that oh, no, is just bizarre luck, right? And that's how kind of I'm wired normally. But with this Twins-Yankees thing, dude, I'm all <laughs> about the voodoo on this. Like, like there is something up. Like, somebody so crossed someone or there's a curse or there's something because, like, it is insane to have watched it for this long. You're going to go into Prince's archives and he's going to have the full score of No No Nanette. Like, he's, he's playing every instrument on it. And until you burn the master tapes of Prince's version of No No Nanette, it's just going to keep That's happening. the most feasible explanation that I've heard for this. <laughs> Occam's Like, that's the only thing. I'm like, yeah, that makes, that shit makes sense. Right? Like, that, I mean, what else could it be? Like, it, like, speaking of which, were you there for this Andy 2010 ALDS? With Gardner, Ron Gardner. Yeah. yeah, were you in that room? Yeah, I have to. I was. This is my favorite. I was, so, like, yeah. I don't, on Twitter the other day, like for some reason, we got into like dumbest questions you've ever heard at a presser, and and so since we're talking Twins Yankees, right? Of course, like the Yankees have swept the Twins again, right? It's a second straight year. In 09, like they had bad calls that hurt him, right? Like that we all remember that series. Now the next year, I think they had to do a play-in game. Twins are exhausted, and the Yankees just steamroll them. Because that 2010 team was pretty good. So we're not even five minutes from the last out, it feels like. And we're in this room, press conference room at Yankee Stadium. And and the Twins have lost. They've been swept. And when Ron Garden hires there, because the losing manager goes first, and someone raises their hand, I've never seen this person before. I've never seen him since. And and the question is, like as calm and professionally as you could, as earnestly as you could, goes, Coach? What went wrong again? Like that was a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Carden Hire like turns like he's red as a lobster, like gathers himself. Like you can see, like he wants to like lose it, and he doesn't because he's Ron Garden Hire. He's good, you know. He's just and then answers the question. Anyway, like I, I just I couldn't imagine being in that position, being him in that moment. Oh God, uh, we we exchange. <laughs> I love that. What we're coach, coach, uh, coach, coach, coach. coach. I forgot about the coach. The- I didn't even put that together. <laughs> coach, I say that went wrong. I holy. Sh- I say that like once a week. I think just walking around my house, like coach, what went? Wrong? <laughs> I missed the coach part. That's brilliant. Okay. Oh, I, um, okay. I ha- so I found it on ASAP. <laughs> And uh, Gardenhire said, and I remember this. He said, "What went wrong?" And then, but then there was like a pause. Then, then it was there was a pause. Yeah. So credit to oh, man. You know, credit to Gardenhire. Unfortunately, Brian Denson couldn't get it done that night. For oh him. Lord, oh, 
Hey, do you guys have a have a favorite uh, trade of that wasn't maybe under the radar or like a, a trade you particularly enjoyed? I'll, I'll tell you my favorite one. The very little known extension deadline. And the Colorado Rockies <laughs> made it by signing Dan, yes. Daniel Bard to the deal. So congratulations to Colorado because you couldn't do that extension to any other. After August 2, you're screwed. So good for them. Good for them. Oh, my gosh. That was I was waiting for the Rockies to come up because before when we were planning this podcast, hey, what what do you want to talk? Uh, we had Andy hop on and say, I got it. I got to talk about the Rockies. The Rockies are they're freaking me out, man. They're weird. This is a weird team. What are they doing? And it's like, Andy, hold on, hold on. It's the trade deadline. We can't just jump in with Rockies talk. Oh, the Rockies answered your prayers because that's all they did. That's all they did. They just, they signed Daniel Bard and Daniel Bard is 37 years old. <laughs> signed him to an extension. Uh, the Rockies are now 60 and four. No, they're 46 and 60. They're in fifth place. They signed their 37-year-old closer to an extension instead of trading him. Okay. You know, the thing with the Rockies is like, it's not like, um, like I think the teams that are probably going to draw the most criticism for this deadline of the non-contenders, and this may be an unfortunate way to frame it for the Orioles, but I don't view them as exactly a contender per se just yet. But they like sort of punted and gave up like a sort of uh, you know franchise cornerstone who had meant a lot to the the city, and and you can understand why Orioles fans are not happy with that. You can understand why Cubs fans are frustrated that their club kind of biffed it on uh, Contreras and and Hap and just didn't get anything. But you get the sense that those clubs were trying to do something. And in the reporting I've seen from the Rockies, you know, especially from our, our man Nick Groke, there's almost like a sort of defeatism and just like, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's not like they had, you know, a guy like Contreras or Hap who they could trade, but there was just sort of an acceptance of like, yeah, you know, like we're in fifth place and like that's kind of where we belong. We like our team and we're going to stick there. What's the problem, you know? <laughs> it, it just it's it's really strange. Dude, he wrote he had a great line. So Groke is so much fun cuz he can write that nice line about the Rockies a couple weeks ago. What's up, Harry? And he goes, <laughs> "Harry's here to defend, <laughs> to defend Jeff yeah, Bridge." Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. He's that's Bill Schmidt. No, Bill Schmidt. No, I know, but Harry just knows what oh. you said about Jeff Friday. <laughs> anyway, dang, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Groke had this line about how the, the Rockies are caught in a bubble of their own making. And that is perfect. It's perfect. They're the weirdo that no one wants to trade with in your fantasy league. That's what's happened with them. I think that's that's what I see. Is that they came with every dumbass proposal. And like the other 29 are like, are you out of your mind? And they're like, oh, I guess we'll just extend Bard. You know, like that. that's how this went down. No one even wants to slap them. They just they just look at them like, oh, you weirdo. In yeah, the just unreturned like, group you know, text. They, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Right. W- right. Just like, do they keep paying the dues? All right, we'll let them <laughs> While we're talking about Groke and Groke's talents, his article on Daniel Bard is uh, titled, Why the Rockies Swerved Again to Sign Daniel Bard Before MLB's Trade Deadline. And it is not explicitly poking fun at anybody. It's talking about the logic. He's getting quotes. It's a, it's a good job of reporting. But I'm going to read the kicker. It talks about Bard's 1.86 base ERA this season. Uh, he had reached for agency before, but never after a good year. And he won't this time. Paragraph. Last paragraph. On Saturday night, Bard shut down a tense ninth inning against the Dodgers for his 22nd save. The Rockies won 5-3. to They improved to 46-56. and 56. 
And like that's how you end a column by saying what everyone's thinking without saying it. It was a masterclass in subtlety. But yeah, like what are you doing? It's a 37-year-old closer. You're the Rockies. I had the same reaction. Like I, like I said, I think Nick's like I love Nick's work, and he's so he can be so like funny and like flashy and like write funny things, but then also no one to be completely and totally understated because what he's yes. laying out says it for him. And so yeah, dude, what a great example. Love that. We should do a draft of all our beat writers and who's been driven the most crazy. Oh boy, by that would be that one would hell be of so a draft. That would be, yeah. I mean, obviously Dennis Lynn goes first, and then, uh, it would ha- and then you'd have to sort of go for I If I have a first-round pick, I might go with Lindsay just because she's had to ha- handle the monster Yankees beat by her. She didn't have a Brisby to her bags. Like, she didn't have someone taking the load off. It was just like, I'm doing everything. And so that's my first-round yeah, pick. Yeah, no, that's uh, – because Yankee years are tough, boy. Like, yeah. Yankee years are like four normal years. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you had already absconded to, you know, Long Island to cover the Nuts, and you missed the A-Rod season in 2013, the one year I covered the Yankees, when literally the games did not matter. You just had to call various attorneys every day to see, like, uh, uh, you know, you'd you'd literally, like, get up in the morning, and you'd sort of, like, be going through your phone or going online, and you'd be like, oh. A Rod suing the team doctor. No, you know, no, I'm not, I'm, no, 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 no. So that's no, what no. I'm doing today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one. My first day of the Yankees beat in 2009. We were in Dunedin, Florida, and you know Rod is doing the Rod things, right? Like he's, you know, like admitted whatever. He's at that point where like he had had that tearful presser and all that in the tent. So now Rod's trying to quote unquote be normal, right? In the, the circus tent. tent we used to call it down there, right? Where you know the oh, annual sorry, Rod right, goes yeah. up to the table crocodile tears and like jeter and everyone just like arms crossed just staring into space anyway so he had done done that thing we're two weeks out from it and we're in dunedin florida and like people are like getting rides to get home and who pulls up to get rod his cousin who's banned from the premises and the only person (laughs) cousin yuri and the only person because it was day one on the beat that didn't know cousin yuri by sight was me (laughs) <laughs> so I didn't know. I was like, why are people like I had no idea what was going on until like I saw it on my phone later on going, oh crap. Like so yeah, <laughs> don't give me this about I didn't catch any of like this rod crap. All right. Two thousand nine was like a lot of rod crap, okay? A lot. And that like literally from the first day on. That was when Brian Cashman said he was like humpty dumpty. Put him back to together. Put him back together again. <laughs> Did you that that's another yeah. one, man. The cash quotes through the years. Like you dropped one the other day, the, yeah. the objective pipe. Smoke the objective, objective pipe. pipe. Yeah. My absolute favorite is the one uh, from, the again, my one spring covering the Yankees. I may have, like, told the story on the pod. I just love it so much. Like, they had all these injuries, and they needed, like, uh, they needed a first baseman. They needed a third baseman in spring training. And it's 2013, and Cashman had broken his leg <laughs> jumping out yeah, of the plane. Um, you know, as, as most one does. general managers do from time to time. So he's on his, like, rolling scooter, and there's a few, be- few writers who are standing in the dugout at uh, GMS in Tampa, and uh, he rolls up and he goes, "Hey, then you guys got BB Abbott's number." BB Abbott, of course, is a prominent baseball agent. You go, uh, <laughs> "No, Brian, why do you need BB Abbott's number?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna call him and see if Chipper Jones wants to come out of retirement to play third base for the Yankees." <laughs> and we're like, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, wouldn't you like to see Chipper Jones playing third base for the Yankees?" And like, um. 
I guess. He goes, actually, you know what? Can you guys call B.B. Abbott and ask him that? That would actually save me a phone call. And he just rolls off. (laughs) And, you know, so, like, doing due diligence, went and called B.B. Abbott. And he's like, Brian has my number. What's going on over there? Anyway, that was, like, my favorite day. I remember that that day vividly because, like you said, I had already absconded to Long Island. And I'm in the press box in Jupiter, Florida. And you texted me that whole exchange. And, and and the end of it was, is he always like this? <laughs> I had been the Yankees writer before that. Anyway, <laughs> and the answer was kind of, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And uh, just in the interest of fairness, uh, we mentioned that Andy had a cat butt in his face. Uh, Mark, while he's giving a student analysis, is getting hit by that a That is balloon. right. Um, is that a trained? Is that no, I can't you guys see. have? Is it a, is have, it a yeah, cat doing that? Cat. It is my daughter. It's Rosie. Say hi. Hi. Oh, hi, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. How are you she, doing? She wanted to hang out with me on my work day today. Heck yeah. Oh, that's nice. Rosie, are you playing keepy uppy with the balloon? asking if you're playing keepy uppy with the balloon. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, and he's been over and played that game with Rosie before, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's outstanding. All right. Well, this is uh, so at the deadline, Andy, are you willing if maybe you have to throw in like uh, a prospect or maybe even a compensatory uh, pick? But would you be willing to trade your cat for for Rosie? Uh, No, I don't want to trade for Rosie just because I think she's in a great situation now. However, I will get rid of this cat. Faster than AJ Preller tried to get All rid of Eric Hosmer. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even I will pay down $44 million to get rid of this. By the way, again, Eric Hosmer's a good player. Like, he's a good baseball player. He is. He just he is a good baseball player. And he's a world champion, and he's been disrespected. You know, we, we should he's find out what Lowe thinks about this. <laughs> you got to get Lowe on the phone. This cannot stand. I can almost guarantee that, that Lowe did not pay attention <laughs> to the deadline yesterday. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 18 of the Roundtable. I've learned a lot today. I've learned how to pronounce Jeff Breidich. I've learned how to pronounce Dunedin. I've seen it. Dunedin. I've seen it. I thought it was Dunedin. Dunedin. All right. So I've learned a lot today. Uh, Hopefully everyone else listening has learned that as well. Uh, We will be back next week. And I I have a feeling we'll be talking about the ripples. Uh, Maybe we can get into our trade snubs. You want to talk about trade snubs? I don't even know what a trade snub is, but someone got snubbed. Did Hosmer get snubbed? I think Hosmer the trade snub. No. Oh. Luke Voigt Voigt. was the trade snub. He got snubbed. Oh, poor Luke Voigt. He should play well enough so that he gets a seven-year, $144 million contract that includes a partial no-trade clause. And again, as the only pro-labor podcast, we support his right to exercise his contractual rights. He's upset now, but Luke Voigt bobblehead day next year in Washington. That's going to be a hell of a promotion. All right, this has been episode 18 of the Roundtable. We will be back next week, and we will see you then.